Hey guys, this is episode 11. We're going to dive into how to estimate your hours for a design project. This is a tricky one and it takes a combination of your own experience with clients and projects to know your hours, the discipline and diligence to actually track your hours, and also sometimes it just helps to have input from other designers and know how they do things. We have an awesome free download for you in the show notes. It is a reference chart with our design hours and kind of what we ballpark for projects. Might be a great jumping off point for you. And a little special nugget at the end of this episode where my girl Kate uh, basically busts into song. So tune in and listen. Today's episode is brought to you by the Interior Design Business Kickoff Kit. If you're thinking about starting a business or have just launched, let me help you kickstart things to make major progress in a short time. The Interior Design Business Kickoff Kit is six months of intensive one-on-one coaching with me, plus all the business documents you'll need to crush it behind the scenes like the nerd boss you are like me and launch your design business. Book a complimentary call to learn more at lesliemyrick.com slash coaching. And now this is episode 11, how to accurately estimate hours for a design project. This is episode 11, how to accurately estimate hours for a design project. Kate, I don't think I have a good answer on how to accurately estimate hours for a design project. How about you? Oh, well, I'm getting better. Yeah, yeah. I would say the same. Yeah, you you are. We've had this conversation, um, but we've, I mean, we've both been doing this for a while and yeah, it's continues to be something that we try to refine, but I am a hell of a lot better today than I was when I first started. So, but I have uh, data to back it up, which is one of the things we're going to talk about today is nerd alert. Nerd alert. (laughs) Well, let's, let's kind of start with that. So why, why do we even care about accurately estimating hours for projects? I mean, if we're hourly and we just get paid for our hours, why, why do we need to know how long it's going to take? Well, we need to be able to, assuming you're, it doesn't matter whether you're flat fee or hourly rate, you need to know how long it's going to take to finish a project. If you're hourly, you need to be able to tell a client from the outset approximately how many hours it's going to take to get them to where they need to be. If you're flat rate, you also need to calculate how much to charge for your project so that you can make a profit. Um, if you end up, and I, I made this mistake when I first started working, I was doing flat fee before I knew what I was doing, before I knew how long the project was going to take, before I had any data. And I ended up spending like probably four or five times the number of hours on the project yep. than I originally estimated. And I had no system in process in place to talk to my client about it. And it was the, pro- the never ending project. So I've learned a lot since then, but Needless to say, if you're flat fee, you still need to have a, a sense of how many hours a project will take so that you can charge accordingly. Yeah. I do think it's important to estimate your hours whether or not you do flat fee or hourly because clients want to know up front. And I have done it before where I haven't estimated. This is, you know, back in the day. And I've just said, all right, so it's an say $2,000 retainer to start you know, once we hit the end of that, we'll start invoicing you hourly on a monthly basis. That all sounds well and good, but I am telling you, I got locked into being the $2,000 designer. Every client thought they could get their project finished with that. I mean, it doesn't matter that I told them that was just a retainer to start. The number of times people would come to me, we'd be, you know, we've used about $1,500. So let's say about 10 to 12 hours into the project. And inevitably I would get the phone call or the email when I let them know where we were at and it would be, Hey, so we really hadn't budgeted to spend more than $2,000. So we're really hoping you can get the project finished within that range. And (laughs) the number of times this happened was, it was crazy. And it was because I wasn't saying up front, your kitchen remodel is going to take between 60 and 75 hours on average to do the design phase. I was just saying, let's start with $2,000 and see where it goes. And foolishly, I agreed sometimes. And there was one project where I want to say we went 16 hours past that $2,000 mark 
So a lot. And I didn't get to bill for any of it because I had told them. Was that because you just were, that was where you were comfortable and you didn't want to give them an accurate number because that felt hard for you? Or was it because you didn't know or because you were willing to just do it for a flat fee or why, why were you doing it that way? Well, that's the thing. It wasn't a flat fee project, but I, I've grown a lot in the past few years as a business owner. And I think a lot of that was, was just straight up people pleasing. I didn't want to upset them. I wanted to be the great designer who came through in a pinch and did something amazing for them. And I agreed to do it because I didn't know how long it would take. And honestly, even if I had known it was going to be an extra 16 hours, I don't know if I would have had the courage to say that. And I probably would have just swallowed that money regardless, which is not a great business plan for profitability. Y'all don't do that. So <laughs> I think had I known realistically what a living room would take, I would have completely reframed how I did it. And I would have taken a larger retainer, something closer to 50% of the hours because I feel like when you start small, mm-hmm. people assume it's going to be, quote, affordable. And then they are really surprised when you go beyond. But for whatever reason, that, that I think it was $2,500, actually. I just, I felt like I was the $2,500 designer. Client after client would make comments or complain or just be generally unhappy that we were going past that, even though it was, I thought, very mm-hmm. clear that it was just a starting point. So... You make an awesome point about framing it well from the beginning Mm -hmm. so that clients know what to expect. Right. So that is a cautionary tale of what not to do. We've (laughs) we've all made, you know, some mistakes like that, that, that are learning mistakes, myself, of course, included. And so let's talk about a couple of the things that you should be doing. Um, Number one, we've talked about communicating early on to your client what that what the number of hours would be to, to get their project to completion. We're probably going to lean heavily on the talking about the hourly model because that's the majority of what Leslie and I do. And I think that's the majority of what a lot of residential interior designers do. Commercial is a little bit different animal, but not all the time. So, but I think the number one mistake that designers make when trying to estimate a project is that we try to estimate the entire project upfront instead of only estimating for design, you can estimate again for project management after the design presentation. So to be clear, so the way I used to do it, and this was my big mistake was I would try to estimate the number of hours for a client, not only for design, but then after we presented all of the purchasing, all the ordering, all of the construction for my trades, all of the installation. And what happens after the design presentation is really everything that happens after that point, there are a lot of variables that are out of your control. So the design process where you go do your site survey, survey, guys, go back and listen to episode, was it nine, where we talk about our design process? Leslie, I think so. The design process, uh, part one and part two are episode eight and nine. Eight and nine. So the design process, which is where you're going in and you're doing your site survey, measuring photos, doing your drawings, doing your sourcing, getting pricing from your trades, doing your trade day, all of that is very predictable. Once you've done it a few times, you can keep track of your hours and you can, with a pretty fair amount of accuracy, figure out how many hours the project is going to take you. So I only estimate that step at the outset of the, of the, the project. Yeah. And what I tell clients is that this puts the ball in their court. So at the design presentation, if I sit down with them and we present and they love everything, but just out of curiosity, they, they want to see like 10 million different alternative <laughs> options. I smile and I remind them, I am more than happy to do that for you. I want to remind you that we have already looked at 5 million options and we are bringing you the best ones that we think are right for your project, your style, your functionality, your budget. Um, and that that is hourly, hourly work that you've already paid for. And, and, but it is an option. If you still want to see more, uh, we can do that. And by and large, that's not what ends up happening. Uh, There might be some tweaks that we make especially if it's to get the budget down to, to where we need it to be, if it's beyond the budget. But that is the step of design, that first design phase that 
is really predictable. After that, you can't predict how many things your client is going to love or hate. Hopefully they love more than they dislike and want reselections on, but you can't predict things arriving damaged or going on back order or projects getting held up because of construction. And there's no way to predict that with any level of accuracy. However, once you present and you get a sense from your clients exactly what is it that they loved, what fell flat for them, how many changes are there going to be made to the, the construction? You know, did, did we completely decide to change the layout of the kitchen, which that's happened to me before. I did yes. a design presentation and the client decided at that moment, just simply because he saw a tile in my office, it's like, oh, I really love that tile. And I'm like, great, when you're ready to do your bathroom, let me know, we'll put it in there because that would look dope in there. And he was like, yeah, let's do that. And that snowballed into an entire master bathroom renovation. So <laughs> these are the things that can happen. They can derail your estimate for hours. So after the design presentation, I will try to give a second estimate to get them through to completion. And that is what it is um, for me. Now remind me, do you charge for procurement? Do you charge for that ordering phase? Or is that included in the cost of the goods and stuff you're selling? It depends on the level of where the client is. If the client is at a, is a premium tier level, they have a, a nice solid budget. There's a good amount of uh, margin there. And then I can, uh, if I choose, I don't lead with that. And I never tell a client up front that that's something that they will get. It, it's something that is ironed out or figured out during the design process. If they've, kind of reach that level. So if the, if the project budget has the margins for you, you do offer that as kind of a concierge level service of doing your ordering. Yes. Complimentary. If have, yes. If they have a super value driven project that I'm going to be charging for my procurement. You have such great words, value driven project, but I absolutely get what you are saying. <laughs> it's, it's a smaller budget. It does there's not enough margin for you to be spending your time, your team's time to order and track and implement. You're going to lose money if you do that. And I, and I'll also set it up from the outset that we, we can arrange to only make recommendations on items that you could choose to purchase on your own if, if you wanted. And I just treat that more like an e-design project. Yeah. It's a good strategy. So yeah, I, I think the biggest mistake is trying to estimate your hours for the entire project from the outset. Instead, break it down into two phases First is design, second is implementation. Yeah, I think that's a great way to do it. And the hourly thing, guys, keeps clients accountable. When you're in a client meeting and you've set the meeting to be an hour, an hour and a half, you know, they know that you're hourly. So if they want to sit and drag it out, you know, by all means they can. <laughs> this is their this is their money and that's how they're choosing to use it. Um so yeah, that's that's one way. I I ha have a nerd alert spreadsheet. I do too. <laughs> I I know we do, and I I've I've seen yours too, and they're I think they're quite different, but but it's uh, color coded and it's sexy. <laughs> it's it's very detailed. Uh, for me, it's simply a, a way where I break down every single step of the project from the consultation to the project closeout, and I detail it and. I have a column where I estimate the number of hours that each individual step will take. And then the next column, who's responsible and who's doing that step, whether it's me or one of my assistants. And from there, we add it all up. There are some things that don't change. You know, if, if it's a consultation, it's two hours. If it's a site survey, you know, that'll change somewhat. If it's a small space or a couple of small spaces, it's going to be in one range. If it's a whole house, it's going to be a more significant time. But yeah, I do try to use that tool at the outset of every project. That's awesome. And then one thing I do, and it sounds like you probably do the same, is that when a project is wrapped, I also go back through and make sure that I have the hours. I mean, not only for billable purposes, but in my nerdy spreadsheet, you know, I break it all down there. And one thing I've started doing, especially for flat fee projects, is I write down, I keep track of what income I actually made and what the income would have been had I been hourly. And that's really eye-opening 
if you are struggling with profitability or feeling like flat rate isn't working out that well for you, when you actually start seeing the numbers, when you start seeing, you know, hey, I build, and this happened to me with a kitchen. I did a kitchen flat rate. Lord help me. That did not end up being profitable. I had quoted based on an old model of sort of like square footage, which was useless. And oh, guys, I don't. I know. Just, just don't. Just don't do it. Nope. I, it's still it's still a very common method, and I mean, if you're listening, I don't didn't mean to derail you, but if you're listening and you do that and you've got it figured out down pat, by all means, give me a call. I want to know how you do it. <laughs> Amen. Everybody that I've talked to that does that agrees. It's not a good way to to estimate for yeah. your time or even the furnishings budget. So on this spreadsheet, I had tracked what I charged for the kitchen, and I want to say I literally was looking at this the other day. I think. In total, I ended up charging around sixty-five hundred for the whole for the design, not for implementation, but for the kitchen design. Well, these clients, lovely people, but the husband ended up being incredibly high maintenance, and there were changes made all through the design process. So we would have drawings nailed down. We hadn't presented yet, but we had drawings nailed down, and suddenly he wanted a 42 inch range instead of a 36 and then it would change back. And you know, those, those things matter. It's not just like, Oh, no worries. I'll drop in a different size. The cabinet configurations around it changes so much was relying on that. But I, I, I was a little unclear, I think on revisions because in my mind revisions happened after the presentation. So I wasn't counting these as revisions. They were just part of the design process, but between having to get involved with their, home renovation loan, which apparently is a thing in the state of Texas, which was ended up being fine. But I ended up having meetings with their banker and all the stuff and the revisions and the changes. Had I billed hourly, I would have billed $17,100 for that kitchen design. And I took home less than seven. So you can see how much time that was and what an eye-opening experience it was to actually write these numbers down and realize that flat fee was not working for this type of project for me. So now I know a kitchen, you know, that seemed like an anomaly of a project in terms of maintenance and getting involved with the bank. And looking back, I should have been billing those hours working with the bank. That was not included in my scope and it just didn't even occur to me at the time. Right. So if you're doing flat fee, you should be having a crystal clear scope of work. And if there is anything that sneaks up or comes up that's outside of that scope, then you should be charging hourly for that. And a flat fee rate usually should include one round of revision. So build yes. that into your time. There's always going to be revisions, but one round is looks much different than three, four, five, and so on. And yeah, there has to be a defined limit. And, and your clients, you have to make your clients accountable for that. I agree. So all that to say, I found it very eye-opening in that project and in others to track what I would have made had I been hourly. And there's been a couple where I was more profitable as a flat fee. I got her done quickly and it was amazing. And I ended up a few hours short of what I'd estimated. And that's great. There ain't no shame in that game. You're, you're doing well. You're working smart. The clients are happy to pay for that value. But you're absolutely right that the number one mistake designers make is trying to estimate the whole project. And I would say as sort of also part of the number one mistake is just not accurately tracking and really knowing your numbers of what things are for you, what the time is for you to be designing certain spaces. So for you, let's talk about the next one, a little bit more in depth, tracking your time mm -hmm. and collecting that data. So I use Harvest, which I actually have running right now. I'm trying to get in the habit of tracking my time, regardless of whether it's billable or not. I'm very diligent about tracking billable time, but I'm also trying to understand how I'm spending my time when I'm not working on client stuff, including things like recording podcasts. So and you use Ivy, correct? I do use Ivy for time tracking and billing. Yeah. Right. So they work similarly. And I have set up Harvest to, for every project, there's a common list of tasks. So my whole design process is, a t is each 
step is a different task. So there's a task for a site survey. There's a task for group meeting slash download after the site survey. There's a task for phone calls with the client. There's a task for concept design. There's a task for doing drawings. I could go on. Anyway, I use that information to help me inform future projects. And I look back when I'm presenting to a client upfront, giving them the proposal, I estimate on two factors. Number one, what are the unique factors of their project? Mm -hmm. And that includes their personality type, which I'll get to in just a moment. I have an interesting scenario or case study to share with you in a moment. Uh, so, you know, are we talking about a small kitchen, a large kitchen, a whole house, a bedroom? So that's the type of project that it is. So number one, what are their unique factors? Uh, and what are past projects that I've done that are similar in nature? And I sort of combine that information to come up with a number using the help of my little spreadsheet. And once I do, oh, I, yeah, so I go back into Harvest, my time tracker, and I look at past projects and that reporting there, which is really important to keep track of all of your time that you work on a project, even if it's a non-billable hour. So for example, um, I recently, we ordered some ceiling pendants that were on a rod. And unfortunately we did not specify the proper length. They needed to be a little bit shorter. So the time that it took for us to solve that issue and get new ones or get those cut to the right size, that's not time that's billable to the app, to the client, because that's not a mistake they made or anybody else made. That was on us. So I record even that time as well. I also record, you know, travel time. Um, if it's under 30 minutes, it's not billable to a client, but I, I take those factors into consideration. And so okay. once you have that data, you can start to make better proposals. And, but I don't show, I used to do this on a proposal. I used to itemize like every single step in the design process and show them that be like, this is what it's going to take to get you there. That is way overwhelming for a client. It gives them the opportunity to start nitpicking and being like, well, I don't need a mood board. I don't need a concept design. Can we just yeah. dive right into it? I'm like, no, that's my process. So uh, what I really just say is these are the things that you want done. We are sourcing all new furnishings. We, just as an example, we are um, contacting trades to get quotes from them. We're presenting all of that is what is included and what you're asking for. So I'm showing them back to them what it is that they want versus what it is that I'm going to do to get them there. Yeah. Clients really want the results. They're paying you for the process. They want you to handle the process. What they want to know is what are you going to do for me? What, what can I expect out of this? And so you're right. I've thought about presenting, here's the checklist of 40,000 things I need to do for you. See how much value I'm bringing you. And all they do is look at it and go like, it can't possibly be that complicated. What is she talking about? This is overwhelming. I'm yeah, they don't, they don't want that. Yeah. So the store, the little case study that I have, this is a very, very unique situation that I doubt will ever happen again, but this is why understanding your client's personality and their decision-making style up front is important. I don't yeah. think it's too much to ask your client up front, you know, how, what is it like for you to make decisions? Is it easy? Are you a quick decision maker? Are you a, a thinker? My husband is a five on the Enneagram. He's a thinker and he will analyze to death decisions. And I am a seven. I'm the enthusiast and I'm just like, let's do it. And, so, and, and personalities, you know, run the gamut. So I think it's important to glean a little information from your clients from the outset so that you can be prepared not only to build in a little extra time for that so that you don't badger them and be like, could you make a decision already? But you just expect it. Um, but here's, here's my story. So I actually had two clients at this same time. They actually lived on the same block. They were friends and neighbors and I worked with them twice, both two projects for both of them, two different times. Client A, um, she was a more of a creative type. She was a thinker. She wanted to 
revise and look at all of her options over and over <laughs> again. Mm. And her project took, they were very similar projects too in nature. The process for working with her took almost twice as much time as working with her neighbor who was, and both lovely people. I, I enjoyed working with both of them very much, but they had different working styles. And the other client, B, um, was more direct in her decision-making and her thought process. And once she made a decision, it was done. And she could easily say yes or no to things that she liked or didn't like. And I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. And I just chalked it up to the fact that they had different personality types. Well, about a year later, they actually hired me again to do again, very similar type of spaces at the same time. That's crazy. <laughs> I know it was, they were, they, they started about a month apart from each other on the second one. And the exact same thing happened. It's, it's very similar project in nature, budget, location, even time of year. You know, it wasn't like one of them, their project was over the holidays and we lost a bunch of time that way. It, there were literally the only factor that changed between these two clients was their personality and their decision-making ability. And the number of hours that it took client B to get through her project, it was much, much faster. Her project got done months in advance behind the other clients. So think about getting an understanding of your client's personalities and decision-making style from the outset. And that can help you more accurately estimate hours for a design project. Yeah. I think there's something to be said about including the PETA factor, P-I-T-A, pain in the arse factor when you are <laughs> quoting things because some clients are just going to be, and I'm not saying your clients were a pain. What I mean is no. there are clients that do not allow you to follow your process as efficiently and swiftly as you know you are able. And you have to factor that in when you are estimating hours for people. Some clients need a lot of handholding. Some clients will feel really connected to you and will spend three hours talking when you're there for a one hour meeting. Right. And those are incredibly valuable moments for relationship building, for trust yeah. building. They also, if you are flat feed, can really affect your bottom line. Or if they are firm on a budget, they also can affect the outcome you can deliver to the client. So it's a really fine line of balancing relationship and trust and investing time into your clients while making sure that they can afford it and they're, you know, it's going to work out for the best in the end. Yes. Um, you just reminded me of a new sort of new thing that I've been doing that's been helpful for setting clients' expectations up early. I have, in the past, I've done these what to expect next PDFs that I drip, it's like drip content that I give them throughout the process. And one of the ones that is, I've added to the fold is something that I send to them a week before the design presentation. And it reminds them that the week after the presentation, we have already set aside time to start purchasing on your behalf. And that is your time that is locked in and nobody can touch it. <laughs> and that they need to come to the presentation ready to make decisions and yeah. ready to, to write a check, really. And that step it happens to a varying degree of success for me, again, depending on personality and style. But when they know that they have this time blocked off for them, they tend to want to take advantage of that. And I try to explain to them that it will be much more efficient for us to be able to use that time that we've blocked off for you already if we have some decisions made and we can move forward. Otherwise, we're going to have to sort of squeeze in purchasing for you around other projects that we'll be beginning the following week. And that can make it harder for us to, it can drag it out. It can, you know, it can also make things can go away or go out of stock and yes. then reselecting. And so that is something that you might want to consider doing is setting up your client expectations, setting time aside and reminding them that they're sort of accountable to do their part of making decisions. I'm currently sitting on a project where we presented last week and they told me from the outset, we're, we're ponderers, we're thinkers, you know, uh, there, there's also a budget question here. You know, the, the proposal was beyond their ideal budget 
Um, and so we're going to be talking about how to massage that a bit to get them closer to their ideal budget. But in the meantime, they now understand and know that it, it they risk uh, accruing more hourly fees by yeah. not making efficient decisions. Do you have a note? I do on my proposals that says this is valid for X days. I think I have it as seven days. Like I give them a full week to write me a check. I hope they do it sooner, but they have to know that you cannot guarantee those prices past a short period of time. Like sometimes our vendors don't even give us more than much more than that for guaranteeing pricing. And you made a good point about things going out of stock. Like once you've presented you got to move fast and you have to prepare your clients to be able to move quickly too. Yeah. It's in my contract. It's not on my proposal, but it should be a good idea. Ah, yeah. Most proposals have a spot for like a memo or some sort of notes at the end. And I just have standard boilerplate on all my proposals, hundred percent payment. It's non-refundable, non-returnable, and it's valid for seven days. I'm pretty sure that's high level what I have written, you know, yeah. <laughs> written a little fancier. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. These are great talking points. I think, you know, we've talked about the big mistake we make trying to do it all up front, the importance of tracking hours. One tool that's really been helpful for me is I've created a chart that has my typical hours to design each room. So I use that as a reference when I'm with clients, you know, because sometimes it's hard. You don't, I don't know, how long does living room take? I can take 30 hours if you're fast, but it can take 80 hours if you're crazy. And so I bring this chart with me that has a range of hours and I use that as a jumping off point to estimate. And I say jumping off point because, you know, there's that PETA factor. Sometimes more difficult clients, more difficult projects, you know, will take longer. Sometimes the scope is a little bit minimized from past projects and you know you're going to go faster. But I have found having that paper courage with you, having a document, and I don't show paper it to clients. Courage. I love that. It's true. You've got that, like, you don't just have to, oh, I don't, I think a living room was 40 hours. Maybe it was 80. I don't remember. But having a document, you're like, no, I know from past experience, from past projects, from all the years I've been doing this or all the months you've been doing it, if it's only months, as long as you have one project under your belt, you have some experience with how long things take you. And so developing a chart, we are such nerds, girl. We love our charts and spreadsheets. <laughs> I, I totally chart, stole her. I, I stole your chart that you're talking about and I put in hours and I love it. I use it. Yeah. And we will I actually today though I look back at it and I'm like, good grief, does it really take that long? And I know I have the same struggles. I'm like, I can't charge that. But that's what it takes. And that's why having it documented when you are sane and calm and chilling at your desk looking through your notes is a really good thing. So we will actually include that hours chart as a free download this week if you go to designersgettingcoffee.com and find the episode page for episode 11. We'll have that for you. And I want you to know these are kind of our numbers, my numbers. They might not be your numbers, but if you need a little, a little boost, I found a similar chart in a designer Facebook group I'm in. And I just felt it was such a breath of fresh air to have an idea for some spaces, especially spaces I didn't have a lot of experience with. It's nice to have a ballpark. The more you know, the more you can document and track, the more accurate you can make this and the more confident you can be quoting clients because you know it takes what it takes. Yeah. I went through just that's also actually. that's also helpful when you're doing when you're estimating for just design. It also is a little bit more pal palatable for for clients. And then once they see it, then they're like, this is great. And yes, I want your help to, to do it all. <laughs> yeah. One thing I went through and did this week too, as kind of related to this estimating hours for a project. I went through about five recent projects, an office, a living room, two kitchens, and a bedroom, and I figured out the dollars. I, f I actually wrote down the numbers of exactly what it costs to do design, ordering and implementation, COGS, labor, what the, the actual project cost, so that if I get a new client inquiry and they're like, I want you to do full service, we want you to handle everything, you're amazing, and our budget's $5,000. I can tell them, hey, an average bedroom with full service from start to finish costs closer to $20,000. If your budget is five, let's talk about another way to do it. That way you're not setting up unrealistic expectations with unrealistic budgets. 
Yeah, that's great. Ooh, I want to see that spreadsheet. I love your spreadsheet. It's right now it's handwritten scribbles, but it is going into a spreadsheet. <laughs> I but know. I have to say it was it was eye-opening for me too because I've never done that math. I have everything broken down by design phases and steps. I've never lump summed it all together. And I mean, this is literally the all in tax, shipping, freight, like everything, what the client would have paid. And this is such great, I don't want to say ammunition, but it feels like kind of like this strong thing to have in my back pocket talking to clients where I can say, yeah, a living room, realistically, if you're looking for this kind, you know, say they see an image on my portfolio. Well, that living room was $58,000 start to finish. Yeah. I think people just don't realize. Does that include your time? That, yeah, that's everything. My time, material, labor, shipping, freight, all the design phases, all the everything. That is, I mean, the all-in budget, which I think is realistic. Like sometimes you say, oh, design fees are X and product, but then you have to add shipping. You have labor, you have all these other things. I'm not comfortable lumping in my, all, my time with people's all in budget. I just, Oh, interesting. I like this idea. But I, I'm intrigued. I want people to know, cause I feel like someone can come to you with a budget of, let's say $10,000. Small projects can be cost prohibitive. You know, it, it's sometimes cheaper to do multiple rooms in terms of your time and energy than it is to do one. And if they come to me, you know, with a bedroom budget of $10,000, the design fees for the whole project could be 10,000 as well. And that's just the reality of it. So I think you have to, you have to do this in a way that feels good to you. And you're right. Some people might separate out design fees versus cost of goods. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to budget, I don't like when people, I just don't like the idea of separating design fees from everything else. Because I feel like if someone comes to you and says, I have a $50,000 budget, they probably mean I have a $50,000 budget for everything. They don't mean I have $50,000 for products and you're on top of that. That's how I've approached it anyway. I like, I mean, I'm totally in this, like, let's simplify everything mode. We're lumping in free shipping. I want to have all this data to say, you know, and sure, I want to be able to break it down for them too. Like, for example, the living room that was 58,000, I can do quick math here. I can't, I should be able to. Five, 10, 15. Okay, so about of the 58,000, about 15 was design fees. Yeah. So I think you're right. It is good to have that information as well. I didn't think about that. I can, I can have both in my back pocket and use what feels more appropriate at the time. Yeah, I guess I have a budgeting exercise that I do with clients at the consultation. And when we are talking about that, I this is obviously just for me and how I work. I remind them that this is outside of design services. So, but that's just how we're another way that we we do things differently, but I'm intrigued. I I can totally see, especially given the themes that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks of simplifying things for clients, how you can make it more digestible, how, you know, free, the idea of free freight or complimentary purchasing, you know, we're, those things are not necessarily free. We're not, certainly not eating the cost of that, but no. we're, we're building it in somewhere else so that it makes it, you know, more digestible for your clients. And this isn't, we're not being deceitful in any way. This is how everything you've ever bought from a gallon of milk to your house is, is done. So yeah, it's just in how it's all in how you present any, any bit of information. And so I, I see where you're coming from. If you can just give them an all in number, then it really loses the element of surprise. Yeah. And I mean, it can be scary if someone comes to you thinking they want to spend $5,000 and you're telling them no, realistically for full service. I mean, you don't say no, but realistically for full service for this scope, you like the, the typical investments my clients have made in the past is between X and Y. And then they can say, Oh, and they can choose to be prepared to increase a budget. Or you can say, you know, if you're firm on X, you know, whatever as your dollar amount, here are some other options. And sometimes clients are like, Oh no, no, we really want you to do the whole thing. And then you can say, okay, and move on. But I have had challenges in the past not setting realistic expectations for clients. And that's on me. I didn't know enough. I, you know, I sort of framed it as like, well, it takes what it takes and we'll get there when we get there, but that's not fair to clients. And 
as you start gathering data. And if you don't have your own data, grab our design hours chart in the show notes, have some sort of starting point so that you can provide your clients with information. And one thing that Kate, I know you do, if you give the clients an estimate for hours, your living room is going to take between 50 and 75 hours. Even if it takes you 78, you don't go back and bill those extra three. Am I correct in that? Unless they've changed scope wildly or something like that. No, no, but that is, that is exactly a reaction to me having that it takes what it takes mentality. And I feel like if you estimate your hours and you tell a client what it's going to be, psychologically, they're going to hold you to that number. And if you do go wildly, especially beyond that, unless they have come in in the meantime and added things to the scope and and that has changed wildly, then you should stick to that. And I have made this mistake and I've realized that you're right. Technically this is, it takes what it takes, but really the onus was on me to to accurately estimate my hours and I didn't do it and to turn around and charge a client for that, it just leaves them with an icky feeling. So I am working to just make sure that we've got efficiencies in place so that we can meet that tar- that to me, I, I look at that as a target goal for hours. And if we go beyond that, then I start billing that time as a separate task that's non-billable. So I'm still tracking my time. Yes, that's a great point. I still know what it is. I can still see exactly how many hours did I go over on this project. But when my bookkeeper runs my hours, she's not running those non-billable hours. And I still get that data. I'm not just mindlessly continuing to work without keeping track of my time. So you're right. Once I've hit that mark, it is what it is. Um, and if a client, you know, if there were things that fell short or fell fa- flat for them in the design or they wanted some reselections, again, I want to get that proposal right. I want them to love it and I just get them to where they need to be, even if it's a budgeting exercise. Before we, we dive into that next phase of procurement in which the clock starts running again. Yeah. So I, I, I that mentality for me, it takes what it takes. It's, it, it doesn't work for me. I mean, (laughs) the the exception being remember that if, if somebody comes in along the way of the design process and starts adding to it, you need to be able to remind them that's going to add approximately X number of hours. Is this something you want to do? And you adjust accordingly. But if and until that happens, then just meet, meet your word. Do, do your word. What am I trying to do say? Be, be the word. Be your word. <laughs> be your word. So your we word. have talked more about actually charging in episodes seven, eight, and a bit in nine, but remind us, so say you give an estimate for 80 hours. How do you actually charge the client? Are you taking 50% upfront? Do you start with a small retainer and go hourly after that? I, in the past, have always charged for the first 20 hours of work and then build hourly from there on. I am considering, I don't want it to sound like I'm always changing my model, but I don't like, because our design process can take six weeks or more, um, sending them an invoice when they still haven't seen anything. And mm. so I, I think I'm, I'm going to trial my next project to bill up front a flat fee just for design because that again is something that's within my control and bill a hundred percent for design. Um, if it's under that, then we can either, we just roll those hours into the next phase or, um, chances are it's not. (laughs) And it is what it is. At some point you have to ask yourself, what value am I bringing to this client? You know, eventually you you know, you could be spinning your wheels and it no longer feels like a valuable service to your client. So I try to balance it with that as well. So that that's my plan moving forward and, and we'll see how that goes. But one of the things, if we could, because I mentioned it in my last point was trying to be efficient in our design process. There are a couple of things that I do to try to maintain efficiency within 
our office. For me, I like to set a timer um, and not just a timer on my phone, but like a physical one that I can see. <laughs> oh, I like that. Like, a, like one of those little oven timers or something you'd use in a, a kitchen timer kind of thing? It's like a digital timer. Yeah. It has the most obnoxious beeping sound. So I would love to find a different one. But needless to say, it's not on my phone because my phone screen goes black and then I don't see it, but I can see the physical one. I even will like set it up on top of my laptop <laughs> and the reason I do this is if I'm sourcing for an object or a piece of furniture or tile or whatever, I can easily get distracted and go down a rabbit hole of wanting to see everything under the sun because I'm sure I haven't found the perfect one yet. And you multiply <laughs> that, you multiply that over, you know, literally it could be hundreds of items that you're sourcing for a client and you could very quickly find yourself inflating your sourcing time because you you just always think there's the grass is greener there's something better you just haven't found it yet and how often have we ended up going back with the original thing that we saw in the first place that was yes. a possible contender so i will depending on the item i figure 15 or 20 minutes i set it and i get it going and if the end of that time is up and I haven't found what I might consider the perfect thing, I still stop and I move on to the next thing. And chances are two things are gonna happen. One, something that I found during that period of time will work beautifully once I start to see everything come together. Or number two, as I move on and I start to search for the other things that I'm looking for, I might actually inadvertently come across that other thing that I was looking for and find that perfect thing. I just, it's time to change my focus and move on. But for me, yeah. I'm such a visual person. I live and die by my clocks, my calendars, my deadlines. And so for me, that's a way that helps me keep from going down the rabbit hole of sourcing. That's so smart. And you made an awesome point about most likely you end up going back to something you found early on. I found the same thing to be true. If I can't find it in 30 minutes, it's probably not there right now. And, you know, clients are not thrilled when you spend an hour and a half sourcing a single pillow. Like that is not a responsible use of their budget, of your time. And it's hard because, you know, we all want to source the perfect thing and make sure we have gone to the ends of the earth to find the perfect thing. And it's a great reminder about designing with fabulous, not perfection in mind. In 30 minutes, you will find something fabulous. And if you haven't, it's hard to peel yourself away, but you're absolutely right. Stop, <laughs> stop, collaborate and listen, no, just stop. And oh, we, can I please finish that song? No, not right now. Word for uh, word. <laughs> I don't know any more than those four words, so. It's on you to finish it, but right. end of the episode, I'll take us out. All right, cool. <laughs> oh, where was I going? Wrap it back in, Myra. Come on. Yeah. Keep, you know, pin it to a secret Pinterest board. Keep a reference of the things that you found that are okay options and come back to them later. And you're right. They might start fitting better with other things you find, or they might not work at all. And you've realized that you want to go a different direction anyway. But a 25 to 30 minute timeless, 25 minutes if you do the Pomodoro technique and take a five minute break. Um, or about 30 minutes is really the max I think you should spend before you just start going cuckoo trying to find all the things. Yeah. And you've got to hold yourself accountable to your estimate too. If you have, if you usually take half an hour to an hour to find the sofa and it takes you three hours, you're setting yourself up for failure and just, it's just bad. Just don't do it. <laughs> Yeah. You're not meeting expectations. The clients are not happy. You're not meeting your own standards. Yeah. It's been another, hard to commit to this, but it's, it's, I think it's really important. And I want to add to that, that another area where this accountability for yourself holds true is not just when you're sourcing, but when you're in meetings with your clients and you've set the expectation the meeting is going to take an hour, don't show up and let the meeting take an hour and a half or Ooh. hours. And same thing with your contractors or tradespeople. When you show up and you say this is a 30 minute meeting, you show up, you remind them, including your clients from the very beginning. Okay, guys. And by all means, show up on time. Mm -hmm. This is going to take us. We've set the meeting for 30 minutes. It's a hard stop at 30 minutes. And 
do do your darndest to, to stick to that um, and just remind the other folks involved that that you are on a on a clock another thing if you are meeting with a tradesperson let's say trade day and you have set appointments with your different tradespeople. if you haven't listened to the episode about our design process go back it explains what trade day is a little bit more if you're not mm -hmm. familiar with it um i remind the trades meeting with me that i'm on my client's clock and that this is my time and they are not to take phone calls or be checking emails while we are meeting because i've had a number of times meeting with folks and they get a phone call and they say oh sorry excuse me and then they turn around and they take this phone call for a minute and i have to stop them and be like i'm sorry no that's gonna have to wait this is my time this is our meeting and i'm on the clock with the client and i don't like to do that so i try to remind them in advance that this is my client's time and i'm on the clock and they need to respect that and most of the time they do that's awesome i love that you just have those upfront conversations to manage expectations and make sure that you are sticking within the hours you have worked so very hard to estimate for your clients. Yeah. Yeah, girl. All right. Should we sum it up? The three big points we talked about today. Let's do it. So number one mistake designers make when trying to estimate a project is trying to estimate the whole thing from start to finish up front. We really recommend estimating for design only and taking it from there. Track your hours, track everything, even hours that if you need to stop the clock because you've gone way over and you're holding yourself accountable to that, track the hours that it took you to go over so that the next time you can estimate more accurately. Yep. Create a chart with typical hours to design each room and use it for reference when you're quoting. We've got one for you at designersgettingcoffee.com. You'll be able to download it with today's show notes. Awesome. And I guess bonus point was number four is your idea of using a timer. Yeah, use if you need it. I mean, if, if if you feel that you are the type of person like me who can just keep going and you get caught in the rabbit hole, create some accountability um, and whatever method works for you. For me, it's a timer that I can see and hear. I love it. So are you actually going to take us out today with a song? Yeah, the last time I did that though, the guy who edits our podcast got mad at me and said we had to do a bunch of editing to keep people's ears drums for bursting. But here we go. Ice, ice, baby. Ice, ice, baby. <laughs> Is that the song you sang? I can't even remember. What the stop, collaborate, and listen. That's literally all I know of it. I have no I idea. This is on you. Something. Grabs a hold of me tightly, flow like a harpoon, daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Turn off the lights and I flow to the extreme. I rock a mic like a band. I'll light up the stage and watch a tongue like a candle. Thanks. All right, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> and with that, we're going to wrap up. We will see you next week. For some more karaoke with Kate Bendewald and, alert. <laughs> and designers getting coffee. See you then. Bye. Hey designer, thanks for sharing part of your day with us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to connect with badass design bosses like you. For more Designers Getting Coffee and to join the conversation, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Designers Getting Coffee.